We've been in this series, we're finishing it up today, it's called Covenant and Kingdom, and uh, we've been looking at these threads throughout the scripture, uh, really uh, these two threads, uh, relationship and responsibility, and in a nutshell, we've been just looking at how God has initiated relationship with humanity, uh, starting from Abraham, and we looked at the life of Joseph and Moses, and initiates relationship with us and continues to be faithful in calling out to humanity and welcoming humanity, and then we discovered that through the life of Jesus as well, um, how just through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, the opportunity and invitation to come into God's family is just uh, huge. We also look through this one other thread in scripture, this thread of responsibility that God doesn't just invite us into relationship with him, but he also uh, challenges us with responsibility to partner with him in our world, to, 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 to walk with him, uh, to live out uh, the, the life of the kingdom that he invites us into and to live this out. And he gives us uh, you know, empowerment and grace and power to do that. Um, the climax of that was the life of Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the example of Jesus. Jesus um, had a deep relationship with God the Father. And before he moved into his responsibility, into ministry, into mission, he was affirmed in that relationship. When we saw the example of Jesus a couple of weeks ago through the passage uh, of his baptism, and then last week, as Sean shared, he, he helped us understand that not only what Jesus, uh, not the, only the example of Jesus, but what Jesus accomplished on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for us. We are, we're all bent towards uh, corruption in one way or another. We see that in our world, and, and yet God in his infinite grace uh, through Christ has, has uh, invited us to come closer to him, and there was this, Jesus was a substitute for us, but also on the cross uh, was victorious. And so something happened in Christ uh, on the cross that gives us confidence in our identity in him. And today I want to end the series just asking this question. How will we grow in this relationship and how will we invite others in? I mean, if this is true, that, that, that these threads through God's story is about a relationship with him and the responsibility he gives us and calls us to, how will we grow in this relationship and how will others come to know that it's possible for him, for them? And one of the, one of the big vehicles for this one of the things that is part of God's mission is the church. Sometimes people say the church has a mission, but we like to reverse that and say God's mission has a church. And the church is God's vehicle for us or anybody who comes into relationship with God to grow in him, but also to fulfill our responsibility to let others know and let others understand. And so here's this two lines that maybe we can just kick off and thinking about. You won't grow in relationship alone and you won't go in responsibility alone. So you will never grow alone and you will never go alone. And even if you do it in a limited way, it's possible, but never to its fullness. And so today I want to turn our two threads uh, into like a plural, plural way of thinking about it. So we've been talking about covenant relationship, covenant kingdom. Today I want to I change up the words a bit and call it something else. Covenant community and kingdom mission. Covenant community and kingdom mission. Too often when we, underst- when we look at faith, um, too often it's very individualistic. 
Too often it's a me and God type of thing, and I'm doing this with God, or God's done this for me, or I'm going to do this all on my own. And, and often, I mean, I bet you in the last few weeks, even the messages that we've been sharing through this series, uh, often you maybe just will look at that, oh, okay, what do I got to do? Uh, how am I going to get this done? Or what is God saying just to me? Or how is this going to fuel my relationship with God? And maybe you've been applying it personally and not considering that, you need to be applying it within community, within a group of people. And maybe how I want to say it is this way. Relationship and responsibility is not a solo act. It's not a solo act. I was, um, you know, when I, when I used to practice uh, music, uh, wind instruments often will, will need to develop their sound. And, and the way that they do that is often they will stand against the wall. Oh, I'm going to make the speaker freak out or something. But they would, they'll stand against the wall. And I would do this. I'd stand against the wall or a corner. And I'd blow into the wall or the corner so my sound would come back at me. So I could hear it and I could make adjustments and listen to, to my sound as I played my saxophone. And I would, so as I'd play into the wall or into the corner or into a closet, I would hear my sound. And I'd d- be able to develop my personal sound. And often musicians or vocalists will develop their sound all by themselves as they practice alone. But there's something so much different when you take that sound and you add a guitar doing voicing on one side and a keyboard player stretching out his hands and playing some harmonies and possibly two or three other brass instruments uh, also changing up the notes and a bass player playing a bottom end. And all of a sudden that sound is not all by itself, but it's within just a harmony of people. There was a documentary a week or so, so ago on, uh, on, much, on the, the French version of Much Music, and it was uh, on Queen, the, 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 the group Queen, and maybe you know Queen or not, or maybe you listen to them, and what they were highlighting in this few, five, few minutes that I saw is that it was never just a solo voice, that all the singers of Queen would overlap in harmonies, and often when they recorded, they would do their three harmonies, and then they would layer it on top, and so when you'd hear their voices come out on an album, it was never just all by itself. You'd hear just the incredible power of three, and then on top of that, as they dubbed it in the studio, six kind of harmonies coming out together, and it was so powerful. There's something about um, not just playing alone, but with others. And there's this word that, that, is described, that describes the church um, as Luke writes this incredible book in the New Testament called Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the, the Acts of the Church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, as he describes the church's start, the church's explosion, the church's, you know, people discovering Jesus and coming together, one of the words he uses is the word together. That the church was together, that they learned together, they prayed together, they broke bread together, they shared things, they helped each other, they, they served one another, and they spread the message together. It's a word that describes the church as we read about the church's history. And today I want to just highlight one figure in church history in the New Testament. It's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul uh, you know, started many churches And the word together would have described the kind of churches he started in the different cities that he went to. Amazing thing is that Paul wasn't Paul before. His name was changed. His name was was, uh, Saul. And when Saul discovered relationship and responsibility by coming to know Jesus, it was this culmination of discovering Jesus, of discovering the body of Jesus, and of discovering the mission of Jesus all in one. 
And I want to take a look at that today in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at a few verses there. Um, it's an amazing story. If we, don't get, if we don't get to read all of it today, I'd encourage you on your own to slowly read through Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 18. Um, but we're going to just start off and, and, uh, and move into it. Just before I do, let's pray and ask the Lord to just lead us and guide us. Father, um, I just surrender even my, myself in this moment, my thoughts, my direction here. I invite you to lead and guide. Um, I invite you to speak uh, into my own heart, into our hearts. Um, help us, God, to uh, discover what you want us to understand today in our relationship with you, but also in our relationship with one another and the mission you have us on together. Anyone here today, God, that is searching, that is exploring to discover who you are in Jesus, that um, as their hearts are longing for that, that that, uh, you'd respond and show them. God, we pray for some of the, even the difficult things going on in our lives today as we were invited to in worship to surrender them to you. Um, we particularly pray for Canadians on the East Coast that are, were struggling with a, an Air Canada uh, air crash just last night that's just hitting the news, and we thank you that no one is, has been um, killed, but just for the, the chaos and tragedy and uncertainty that's going on there, God, um, we just lift them up to you as well and want to uh, be one with them even in the pain that they're walking through. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's, um, here, we'll start Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, because that was his name at that time, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So here's Saul. Saul's a guy that was very religious. He was in the orbit of Judaism. He would have been considered a Pharisee. He would have been considered uh, one that was in line with some of the, the teachers of the law, the, the, the leaders of, of, um, uh, of the Jews, uh, maybe in line with some of the things that was going on even through someone like King Herod and other things like that. And here was, here was Paul, or Saul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples it's amazing this was what what he was up to um he had something against the people of jesus the followers of jesus so we'll continue he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to jerusalem so he asked the high priest, he's like, hey, can you get letters to these synagogues out in these areas? Because in those synagogues, there's people there that are Jews, but there's, some of them are following Jesus. Some of them have become, become disciples of Jesus. Some of them have become part of this sect known as the people of the way. And the way was the people that followed the way of Jesus, those that followed Christ and lived out his teachings. And so Saul's saying, get some letters to these synagogues. And it's kind of like, uh, whether it's like a subpoena or a court order or I can get into your house and search your house type of thing. But it's like, let, get those letters there so then I can go in there. And if there's people there, I'll drag them off to prison. That's what Saul was doing to these disciples. Here's verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Man, here's this encounter that Saul has with Jesus. Um, And if you continue reading the story, you discover that God also then will speak to someone named Ananias Ananias in the town that Saul's going to. So Ananias can speak to Saul and confirm what God is up to. And as you read down to verse 18, you read this incredible story of Saul discovering and embracing Jesus. I'll just, I'll just listen to it. It's amazing. Uh, verse 17, it's not on the screen. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. So he's, he's welcoming him into the family in a sense. The Lord, Jesus, who's appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. So Paul, Saul, becomes a Christ follower. This incredible encounter, this incredible moment, this incredible um, you know, revelation, and this voice that comes to him is pretty fascinating. Think about that. Saul's going to Damascus, is trying to get into synagogues and imprison these believers, and he stopped, and this voice speaks to him and asks the question, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? He recognizes that this is probably God speaking to him. He's a religious man. And then Jesus says, he says, I am Jesus who you persecute. Now, it's interesting. Paul never wasn't one of the people mentioned at the crucifixion, wasn't one of the ones that was beating up Jesus in the Gospels. Maybe he was in the orbit of it. Maybe he was around. I'm sure he's heard about it. But there was no direct story in the scriptures that Paul persecuted Jesus. And here Jesus says, stop persecuting me. And Paul's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But Paul never directly persecuted Jesus. And in this moment comes this, what Paul will eventually understand Jesus is saying, when you persecute them, you persecute me. When you persecute, it's not just me, it's us. It's my people. And there's this connection that is understood in this moment that when, Paul, when Saul was going out and dragging these believers out to be imprisoned, Jesus says, you're doing that to me because you're doing it to them. Because we're one. Because we're family. Because they're my disciples. So these men and women that Saul's dragging off to prison were Jesus' were Jesus's people, were Jesus' family, were Jesus' extended self. And in a sense, Jesus is saying, like, you touch them, you touch me. And you wonder, well, that sounds a little rough for Jesus, but if you're, if you're a, a dad or a mom and someone's bullying your kid at school, what's your first reaction? I mean, it's, maybe it's, the kid needs to learn some stuff, the, the bully kid, but your first reaction is like, I'm don't touch my daughter, right? <laughs> you touch her, you touch me. You touch my son, you touch me. There's this sense of, I'm connected with my child. I'm connect- we're family. And so when you're hurting them, you're hurting me. And I feel it as much as they feel it. I feel their pain. And I want to come to their rescue. And part of that is, is that what's going on here with Jesus is Jesus is, is expressing something. He's showing us something, even in this conversion moment of Saul, that he's one with his disciples, that they're in covenant community together. 
Origen, one of the church fathers in the second and third century, said these words, everyone who betrays the disciples of Jesus is reckoned as betraying Jesus himself. The word reckoned sounds pretty strong. But I think there's this sense of what Origen is saying here is that when the people of God suffer, God suffers. When believers suffer, Jesus suffers. When the 21 Egyptian Christians were beheaded a couple of months ago, Jesus suffered. Jesus felt their pain. When mothers and children or, or families or people are take, robbed out of the, ripped out of their homes in Syria or Iran, or when churches are blown up, Jesus feels their pain because he is family. He is with them. Jesus' disciples in him are part of a community. So when Jesus, is at, when Jesus answers Saul's question, who are you? He was identifying himself with all believers. And later, Paul would develop this understanding more. And if you read throughout Paul's letters, one of the phrases he uses over and over again to describe the church is this phrase, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, and we are his body. And he uses this phrase to describe the community of Christ followers, the body of Christ. Here are some, some, some New Testament texts where Paul says this. We'll just read briefly. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here's another one from Ephesians. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here's a couple more. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And here's this last one, and there's many more you can find. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Christ was afflicted for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul would come to understand, just like Jesus fills him in in that, in that moment, when you persecute them, you persecute me. Paul would later, as he, as he reaches people and develops churches and our understanding of what that means is, we're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And here we have... Um, in Acts chapter 2, what's that word? Together. The church was together. They're a community. Here's my favorite understanding of this. It's in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. I love this. This is John as an older man writing to a group of Christians. And he says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See this connection? John's saying, I'm sharing the gospel with you and I want you to understand this truth so that you could also be in fellowship with us because when someone comes to faith, they're not just coming to faith and, and building a relationship with Jesus, but it's horizontal. We're coming into fellowship. We're becoming a covenant community. God's vision for you isn't merely a personal relationship with him. God doesn't just want me only to be in relationship with him, but to understand that relationship and live that relationship out in 
community because as we discovered in the New Testament, when people are in Christ, they are part of the same body that Jesus is the head. We're a covenant community. Rooted in family. Rooted in relationship. Connected to Jesus as head of the body. And that's why it's so important as we see these threads in Scripture, you, you, you should not go alo- grow alone. And you should not go alone. I should not grow alone. I should not go alone. I'm meant to do that in a community of Christ followers. Here's some of the implications for that. If you think about that for a moment. What are some of the implications of being in covenant community? Not just in relationship with God, but knowing that God has invited us to be part of his family. Not just being followers of Jesus, but saying we are together, the body of Christ. Here's some implications. One is, Jesus is one with his body. Jesus is one with his body. When, when Jesus makes Paul understand that if he touches believers, he touches him, he's helping us see this incredible connection that Jesus has with his people, with his disciples, with his body. And it helps us understand that Jesus hurts when we hurt. That Jesus feels when we feel. That Jesus celebrates when we celebrate. That when believers around the world are persecuted, Jesus feels that and suffers with them. That, 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 that he longs for us to grow as his body, but he also is with us. And he's active within the body. It's he who gave apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists so that the body, his body, would be built up. He cares. He's involved. He's integrated. And we work at this together. Here's another part of this is that we represent Jesus to each other. We represent Jesus to each other. We have this amazing capacity as the body of Christ to represent Christ to each other, to encourage each other in the ways of Jesus. So so your faith grows and my faith grows in connection to community. We're not meant to grow alone and we're not meant to go alone. We're meant to grow and go together in community. And one of the implications of that is this. It's, it's our, here's the question. Are we a supportive community? Like how do we get this right down to like just the bare practical stuff of our life right here in, in our own church community? If Jesus and his disciples are one, if he is the head and we are the body, and if we express that locally, here's the question. Are we a supportive community? Do we support one another? Because when the body hurts, Jesus hurts, Right? Just like my family, when my son hurts, I hurt. And I respond to that hurt. But here's a question for you and me. When the body hurts, do you hurt? We know Jesus hurts. But when the body hurts, do you hurt? When you hurt, do I hurt? When I hurt, do you hurt? We can keep going around and around, but you know what I'm saying, right? Do we feel that? Do we sense that? Somebody asked me the other day, uh, they know that I'm a twin. They said, do you feel when your twin falls off a ladder or something? I said, no, not really. But, but they were asking this question. Are you connected to him? Do you feel his pain or successes or joys? And there's part of me that in our relationship, yes, I, I feel at times what he's going through, but not metaphysically. <laughs> but, but here the question is, is when the body of Christ hurts, do you hurt? When the body of Christ rejoices, do you rejoice? When a church down the street or across the city does well, do you rejoice? 
When a church down the street or across the city is hurting, do you hurt? When something's going, it may be wrong within the church or something's happened in a tragic way, what do, you, do, do, you, do you move towards gossip or do you move towards prayer? When they hurt, do you hurt? When the church globally hurts, do you hurt? When people are persecuted and they're persecuted way far more than we are in any way, shape, or form here in Canada, do we hurt? Do we feel their pain? But even to go deeper, locally, when someone hurts in our body at West Side, do we hurt? Do we want to even know that they're hurting? Do we want to even feel their pain? Today, I left my house and there was um, a bag in front of my house that someone left from our church with crafts for Kids Quest, with a note for Natalia saying, I had to bring my son to the hospital at four in the morning. He fell and he hit his head and we want to monitor him and we have to make sure he was, he was throwing up at the time. And now, and I was like, oh my goodness, this, I mean, I didn't, had no clue because they left it at my doorstep at four or five in the morning and went to the hospital and they knew that I would, I would eventually get it to Natalia. And man, we, my, we just thought, okay, let's, let's pray for that right now. Let's pray for this person, for this child. He's going to be okay. They're monitoring him and he's going to be fine, we think. And, and they just want to just keep him a little bit longer. But like our Kids Quest community was hurting around that because they felt, they felt her pain and his pain. So locally, when someone, do we want to know what's going on with people's lives? Do we care enough to say we want to be a body together? So here's some questions that instead of just talking about it, here's some questions I think when you meet somebody, you can ask. When you talk to someone, even this morning, we just had a break before or afterwards or when you meet up with someone, what if we just ask these questions? What if we simply said, how have you been lately? And, and open for an honest answer. What if that was a question and you just, you just were able to just ask someone today, how have you been lately? This next question, I think, solicits a lot of, or possibly, conversation. Well, you're maybe listening to how they've been. Then you might say, or you might say, how can I pray for you? Now, someone might just say, say like, pray, I don't know, whatever you feel like praying. But someone might say, you know what, I, I have a job interview this week, and I would, really need, I would really love some prayer on Tuesday. I have it at 10 o'clock. Or I've recently lost my job and I'm wrestling to figure out what's next. Could you lift me up in prayer this week? When you ask that question, how can I pray for you? You open up this conversation of what's going on in the body and how can I be, how can I be with the body? Another question which is awesome is how can I serve you? Because if something's gone on, like what happened overnight tonight with someone at our church community or someone losing their job or someone even needing a hand or whatever, when you say how can I serve you, then the response is, oh, well, maybe this side, maybe, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm, I need to fix something this week in my place. I've had this really crazy thing happen. Would you want to come Tuesday evening and help? Well, when you ask the question, you've got to be ready for an answer, right? <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, I was busy Tuesday. Well, I wanted to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> um, and those who didn't laugh, I have no clue what that's talking about, but those who did. But, but there's, right, but when you ask the question, you're, you're opening yourself up to, hey, we're, we're a body. We're one. When you hurt, I hurt. Or when you celebrate, I celebrate. So ask the question, how can I serve you? Here's a great question. I'd love to hear where you are on your spiritual journey these days. What if you ask that question to someone? I'd love to hear, how are you, like, describe to me your spiritual journey these days. What's God been bugging you about or telling you about or affirming in your heart. I'd love to hear that. What are some of the questions you're walking through? What are, where, you know, tell me, what's the last six months been for you in your relationship with Jesus? 
And maybe it's someone that's just starting or just figuring things out. And that's an amazing question because you can hear where they are, where their obstacles are, where their questions are, or some of the things they're excited about just by saying, hey, where are you on your spiritual journey? Now, here's the last one. How can I support or encourage you in this or this or this? Right? How can I support or encourage you this week, this month? And to just ask these questions. Now, here's, here's something that's going to be probably harder is you need to put yourself in the reverse and let people ask you those questions and respond openly and say, this is what my week's been like or this is how I would need to be served. This is what I need prayer for. This is how my spiritual journey has been lately. This is how, oh, this is how I would treasure encouragement this week. It's probably harder to put yourself in the other seat because we don't want to let people know some of the stuff that maybe we're walking through. But we see in this encounter with Paul that when his people hurt, Jesus hurt. Will we be a supportive community? Think about the current growth at Westside these days, the last six months, year, year and a half. I hear it from people that, oh, I don't know everybody, or there's half the people I don't know, or there's faces I still haven't come to meet, or I tell someone about someone, they're like, who is that? I don't know who that is yet. And, and, and some of the questions around that, and I think, how can we take what this text, take this idea of being a, commu- a covenant community and saying, I want to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to welcome you in. I want to be welcomed in. How do we get to know each other? There's, this, there, there's a sense of, of newness happening even within our church community these days. Just to be ultra practical, how can we get to know one another? How can we be intentional about welcoming someone in, about, about, about inviting someone in to community, finding out who someone is, letting others know who we are so we can grow as the body? And what can we do about that? Well, how, do you, how can you connect outside of Sundays? You can start here, but how can you connect outside of Sundays? How can you create a West Side play date? I know if you're a mom, you know what a play date is, right? Like you, you try and find play dates for your kids. I'm not talking about like to get some West Siders and go down the slides together. But if that's what you want to do, then that's great. But to think about how, do I, how can I connect with people outside of this larger gathering? Can we have church uh, lunch after our church gathering? What if I throw a party and invite four or five or six people? Or if you love big parties, then invite 10 or 20 or people. What about things like that? What about activities that we can do together or you can do together? I don't mean, it doesn't have to be everybody, but it's just saying, how can we build the body? Because we are the body of Christ. So here, if if it's true that Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and us are one and we're community, how do we function like that? How do we say, oh, how do I emulate that? Because I can't go alone and I can't grow alone. I need you and you need me, I hope, and we need one another. That's covenant community. So we build this relationship and even live out our responsibility together. And so it moves to one other implication, and we'll end with this. It's the body of Christ is the witness of Christ in our world. Together, we are a witness of Jesus. We're a witness of God's kingdom. So it's not just covenant community. It's kingdom mission together. We're on mission together. We, together, are God's living and local presence in our city, in our neighborhoods. We're a witnessing community that extends God's kingdom together. We share the gospel together. We show the gospel together. We proclaim the gospel together. We invite people into the gospel together. We're partners in mission. When Saul 
encountered Jesus, he first encountered Jesus through the people he was putting in prison. Right? He first encountered Jesus through those people he was dragging out of the synagogues, putting in prison. He was meeting Jesus through them at first. That's who he encountered first, was those people, those Christians. Then he met Jesus. But here's what happens. Christ then continues to touch the world through us, through community. So what does Jesus do with Paul? He sends him out. He's like, you're going to go out, and you're going to reach the Gentiles, the kings, and Israel as well. And you're going to be my chosen instrument here. I love Acts 19 says this, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Paul is called by God to extend his kingdom beyond his own, even his own territory. And how does Paul do this? He starts churches. How does Paul do this? He goes to different places, but he doesn't just speak to people all individually. He gathers people together and he creates pockets of community, pockets of the body in Ephesus, in Colossus, in Galatia, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Rome, in Corinth, and in other places we probably haven't heard of. Here's Paul. What does it mean to extend the kingdom? He starts pockets of kingdom community in these places. He plants Jesus in every city he goes, but when he plants Jesus, he establishes community. He establishes these disciples together because relationship and responsibility is not a solo act. And it keeps growing through community. The world must be invited into what God has in store for them. And God wants to use us to do that through the body of Christ. When I think about this at Westside, I can, without mentioning names, I can think of a few people that just come to mind that have come to Christ, but then have come into community and are extending those pockets of community where they work in community groups, in serving different ways. And, they, and they're replicating that. And they're not doing it alone. They're doing it in community. Just thinking even of a friend right now within our church that is, is, is you know, constantly building a friendship with someone at work. And it's just a general friendship. But we see community coming around that friendship. And, the, and they're witnessing Jesus through those people together. That's covenant community and kingdom mission together. So let me just ask you as we close today, how will we partner together? Like God so wants a relationship with you and me. And he does that, right? He's initiated that. And through Jesus, we come to know him. But then he invites us into community. And he says, you're part of a family. And the way that the world comes to know who Jesus is, the way the world comes into relationship with God, God uses the church, the body of Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand as we, as we close today. And I want you to think about this. Um, because, you know, even as we listen to this, I'm sure in your mind there's, there's a friend. Maybe you can come up, uh, Jesse, and just maybe play as we kind of lead towards just a brief time of prayer and think about this. But maybe in your heart you're thinking, oh, a friend's name comes to, to mind, boss, coworker, neighbor, family member. And, and I, I bet you one of the things that comes to mind is this. Um, they'll never come to Jesus. They'll never want to know about God. They'll never be interested in the community of Jesus. 
I, and I get that because sometimes I think about my neighbors in that way. I have so many awesome conversations with them. We have such great relationships with some of them. And sometimes that thought comes to mind and says, they'll never really want this. I don't know if that'll be the case. And you know what's so encouraging is Saul. Saul is encouraging. Because a lot of our neighbors and friends and co-workers, they're like Saul. They have their life now. And one day they can be a Paul. They might not do everything Paul does. But their identity can be changed through Jesus. And I think if one of God's biggest enemies in the first century who was going into synagogues and dragging Christians out of them and putting them in prison, if, if, if God revealed himself through Jesus to, to this man, and this man went and created pockets of community in all these cities, then why, why don't we believe that that person in your head right now that's come to mind won't come to know Jesus and that God won't use you and us to be a witnessing community to them. Isn't that, isn't that possible? Is that possible? I think that's possible. God wants to use us in that way. So as we close our series, as we close this day, um, I guess two things that we can be just prayerful of is this. One is, am I a participant in this covenant community called the church? where Jesus is the head and we're the body? Am I a participant? Am I a contributing factor? Am I serving and giving and participating and welcoming? Because we're all, we're part of that. And then second thought is, am I a partner in God's mission, in this kingdom mission? And do I believe that we're in this together? I, you know what? The friend I was talking about that as a friend at work, I don't get to have the conversations with that person, but I so feel like I'm with them in mission. Because we're a community. And so as we close today, I want to just take a moment and just surrender our hearts and say, God, I so long to experience this relationship with you, but as part of the body. And maybe you need to say, God, sorry, because I've approached my faith so individualistically. Maybe you need to ask God for faith for the people around you that you so long to see them come to know Jesus You say, God, please give me faith to pray for them, to be open to talking to them, to believing that you can reach into their hearts and reveal yourself to them. Let's take some time and just reflect on this today. And if you're here and and you're just at that point of saying, I do want to know Jesus, I do want to trust Jesus, I do want this relationship with God, God did that with Paul. I believe there was a longing in Paul's heart, even on the road to Damascus. And that longing, God came in, cracked open his heart and said, let me show you. Let me show you who I am for real. Let me show you that the fullness of me rests in my son. You need to trust him and follow him. And if that's you, you can trust him today. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we just take this moment and for some of us here that are really sensing you, just nudging on our hearts, prompting us, um, God, we surrender. We surrender to you. And maybe it's some of us that have been following you for years. 
but have often leaned towards just an individual experience and pursuit and growth in our faith and you say no be part of my body and God we surrender to that help us through the gift of your spirit help us through the gift of your grace help us through your work in shaping our hearts to become more community minded so we can live out what it means to be the body of Jesus so we can hurt when others hurt and celebrate when others celebrate so we can serve and pray and encourage and support and listen and where we God can become vulnerable enough to share that with others so we can feel like we are a body together with Jesus as the head God right now we just we surrender our fears and mistrust of your kingdom mission I just I admit my own God at times I see some of my friends or neighbors or family members sometimes disbelief comes in my heart that they will want to welcome you to lead them God thank you for the story of Saul and the revelation of Jesus and how you sent them out after that as your ambassador to let others know and establish pockets of covenant community in all these cities and more and more people more and more people that would have never we could have never imagined came into your family God may we be a witnessing community may we be a your tangible living in local presence in our neighborhoods and networks and workplaces use us God and may we know that we're in this together with you and with one another and God for anyone here today that is just making that first step of faith oh God I pray right now that by the power of your spirit they would discover who Jesus is and turn and trust him repent and follow and believe and immerse themselves in the life of Jesus but also in the life of his community so they don't have to grow alone or go alone we can do it together in Jesus name we pray amen